Hello, church. Hello, Simon Siebert clan. <laughs> Our kids joined us today. Um, now, last, no, three, three weeks ago, perhaps, Pastor Sean talked about change. And we know about change. I guess we all do, but um, we have had several changes in our lives. 25 times we have moved since we've been married and lived on three different continents, four different countries. One change that happened as we transitioned from Ivory Coast, West Africa to France in 2000 was a big one. It was a big change. We had been in France for a year of language study and uh, you know, you, you learn something about the country you're living in, but there was a lot that we realized when we went to France again in the year 2000, after having been in Ivory Coast for 16 years, um, that there was a lot we didn't know about this country. Now, when you think of France, what do you think of? Paris, Eiffel Tower, what else? The Louvre, and probably a lot of other things. I can think of chocolate, cheese, good wine, good baguettes. Yeah. Maybe some kids think of the Disney movie. What Disney movie? Wow, yes, 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 Ratatouille. And then there are the Normandy beaches. France has a rich culture and a bloody past, but bloody history. And we learned more about France. We learned that France is not really a Catholic country. Oh, somebody changed that for me. Did I? Ooh. Tele telepathy. <laughs> telepathy. Um, France is secular, very secular. And then we, we certainly learned that as we started to um, minister there and get to know people, get to know the just the culture, and a lot of people will say that they're Catholic, but that means that they're traditionally Catholic and that they have grown up generation after generation as Catholic. That doesn't mean they go to church, that doesn't mean that they even believe in God. They can say that they are Catholic and they may be atheist or agnostic. France has a population of about 67 million. Over 50% declare that they are atheist or agnostic or deist. 32% say they are Roman Catholic and less than 7% go to mass once a month. So that gives you an idea. Um, Protestants of any kind make up about 3% of the French population and evangelicals about 1.6% of that um, 3% or of the total population. There are about 650,000 evangelicals. Well, that was a few years ago. There may be a few more, 650,000. And they, uh, that includes children. And then the Muslim population is close to 10%. Now these percentages can vary a little bit. You know how statistics are. I'd say eight to 10% are Muslim uh, and they represent the largest Muslim population in, in Europe. 
So uh, I think Germany comes up be just behind France. For the past 15 years, we've been in a city called Limoges in west central France, in uh, a region called the Limousine. And if you know anything about Limousine, it's, they have good beef cattle that are given the same name, the Limousine race of cattle. Um, and it's most well known for its fine porcelain, Limoges. And the, this area is very steeped in superstition. It's deeply embedded into their culture. And the vestiges of ancient pagan practices exist there. Um, you've, you're maybe familiar with druidic practices, um, and they still exist. In fact, there's a resurgence of them right now. The relics of saints are venerated and attributed powers to heal. Statues of goddesses called Madonnas are found here and there throughout the countryside. Even in, the, even in nature, you'll find a, a Madonna. And uh, they are also attributed powers. They're usually linked to goddesses of some kind. And uh, the Catholic Church often adopts them as Mary, statues of Mary, even though that's not their origin. Um, there are many traditional healers who get their powers passed down from generation to generation. And there are doctors who will uh, refer their patients to these uh, traditional healers, especially if they can't heal the person. They'll just oh, go to this guy. Or, uh, the majority of the population, however, would, would say that they are agnostic or atheist. And Limoges is the birthplace of the largest union in France and is a very red city, meaning that they're very left wing. It's a tough place to, to break through with the gospel message. Uh, Ray and I would like to thank you for, for praying for us, for supporting us over the years, for supporting Alliance Missions. Um, I think, there we go. This verse really describes the climate that, uh, of all of France, but particularly the area where we, we have been ministering for the last 15 years. We've been told by some who come, came to salvation as adults that when they first tried to read the scriptures, the page in front of them was blank. It was if there was no writing on the page. And um, for others, the understanding of scripture, the, their ability to concentrate when they're reading scripture was very difficult at first. So we know that there was a spiritual battle going on, and there still is, a battle for their minds, for their souls. Um, I want to uh, relate uh, a story about one person's life that was changed and um, our, our, I'll precede that with what we went to Limoges for. Our goal was to reach the French people, les Français de Souche. Les Français de Souche, that's the original French people. Now, France is very multicultural, as we are here in America. They, but these people are very hard to reach, and they're very resistant 
to change. They're very resistant to, op uh, to being open to having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So the churches that we were involved in quickly became international. Even though our goal was to reach the, the original French people, it became very international, representing today's France very well. And I want to tell you a little bit about Nikki, who is French, Francais de Souche. I, w I taught English outside of the, the church in a secular setting in order to reach out to non-Christians and not be always with Christians, to have a, a, a group of people that I could try to reach with the gospel message. And at this uh, association, I would invite people to come to events at the church. I invited people, we had cards made up to invite people to Christmas program. And I did that one year, well, several years, but the one year one lady uh, accepted my invitation, but she couldn't come because she already had a previous engagement planned. And so later on, to my surprise, she said, can I come to your church? It's not, not for a special event, just can I come? And I said, well, of course. So she came, Ray gave her a Bible as she left, and um, she started reading the, the Bible, but she opened up the inside cover, and there was a reading plan. Well, this was about February, I think. So you can imagine where she was reading in the Bible because the plan started at the very beginning of the Bible. So she was in one of those books of the Pentateuch that were this, you know, not a good place to start for somebody like her. And so she came back to church and says, I don't like your God. He's mean. <laughs> and so um, this was based on what she was reading. So it was su suggested that she go to one of the Gospels and pick up her reading there. Just a little background on her. She grew up in a Roman Catholic family that was practicing up to a point, And then her father got mad at the church and... Uh, that was it for them, and he turned against the church. She uh, was an, an she was abused many many times by her father in particular. Um, so her life was uh, she had a rough beginning. She was not expected to live. She was a twin, and her, the twins were not expected to live. So the priest went to the hospital and uh, baptized them, as is the tradition. Well, they did, they did survive, and, uh, but she was always given the impression that she was unwanted, that she should never have existed, and uh, that actually she was formed when her mother fell from a bicycle when she was pregnant, and that was when Nikki was formed. That's what she was told. So um, that's superstition. That's just part of the superstition that, that showed up there. Anyway, uh, Nikki uh, went through life experiencing all kinds of abuse, bad choices, feeling unwanted and unloved. Um, she admitted later that she didn't think we would even want her to come to church knowing what we did about her. I found out a lot about her one day when she just told me all about her past. About five or six hours straight, she, she poured out her heart. And um, she, um, she, it kind of made her um, sad to do that because it was bringing up all this garbage from her past. 
And she, I prayed for her, and she said, well, if it doesn't work, that's okay. I've lived through hell already. What matters are my children. And um, anyway, she just kept coming. We encouraged her. People loved on her at church. And she uh, began to change her way, and, and she realized that we were accepting her no matter what. And uh, she had a hard time accepting God as a loving Heavenly Father due to the abuse from her own father. She had a problem with the word submission, even submission to God. That was a barrier for her because of the authority figures in her past life. But she continued to devour the scriptures, ask questions, all kinds of questions. It was good for me because I had to dig deep and, and get the answers, or sometimes the answers didn't satisfy her. But she kept studying, and she accepted the Lord as her Savior one day. Uh, Ray came, started helping out with our meetings. I had weekly meetings with her, usually all afternoon. And, um, and then there was a planned baptism on November 1st, 2020, and she was one of the candidates. Well, wouldn't you know it, the, you know, with the lockdowns for COVID, there was another one that was happening right then. So we postponed the, it was decided that we would postpone the, the um, baptism. But she insisted, she says, no, I want to get baptized. So anyway, uh, the, the leadership of the church gave in and said, okay, you can be baptized. The other person who was supposed to be baptized that day decided to postpone. And she gave a very clear testimony of her faith in Christ. Um, and we could see a change in her, too, just in the way she looked at us. And she, she made, our, our departure in May was difficult for her. And, um, and then another leadership couple left in July of last year, and that hit her hard, too. But she continues to walk with the Lord. And um, praise God for the way that he has worked in Nikki's heart and is transforming her into his image. Jesus quoted from Isaiah 61 in Luke 4. He said, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. God is at work in France today. He's doing just that. He's binding up the brokenhearted and freeing people from the evil one. Our goal from the beginning was to show God's love to those around us, to build relationships that would allow us to share our faith. We just sang about that, it seems like. And to be light in a spiritually dark region. A quote I want to leave you with is, non-Christians may not remember what we've been told regarding God's love, but they will always remember what they've experienced of God's love. And that is in essence what brought Nikki to salvation. It was the love of God. And through the church, through, I was just one piece of the puzzle and many others added to the whole picture of bringing her to salvation. And the Holy Spirit was at work already in her life. So thank you again for your giving. We feel very privileged to be part of the Alliance over these past 30 plus years and for the support in prayer, the financial support. So thank you for supporting the Jakes and the whoever else you support, the Simons, and we do appreciate you. 
we appreciate your prayers. Continue to pray as we take a, have another change in our, our lives as we decide what comes next. Take your microphone. Take your microphone. So how did France get to the point that it is where there are so few people who believe in God, so few people who follow Christ who know anything about him? How did we get there? It's been a long time coming. The answer lies in our history. We know about our revolution, don't we? We know about George Washington and Jefferson and all those guys who stood up to the Brits and, and freed us and gave us our freedom and, and allowed us to have this uh, separation of church and state so that the state wouldn't be bothering the church and we could go and worship just like we want or used to be able to, kind of. I'm not political. <laughs> but what do we know about the French Revolution? Did you know that the French Revolution happened just shortly after the American Revolution? Did you know that the French who came to help the Americans were used to spur on the French Revolution? Yeah, yeah. We learn a little bit about it, and when we would think of the French Revolution, this is kind of what we think of, where all these people got together and they were mad at the, at the aristocracy and, and decided that the, let's just take their heads off and get it all over with. And in that, when they did that, they had all of these meetings and they wanted to instill... Uh, French values into the into the countryside into the into the nation of France that they what they call Republican values uh, the values of liberty equality and brotherhood What most of us don't know is that the revolution was a rebellion against the ruling class Including the traditional church and her religious social financial and moral abuses because so many of the people who were bishops and cardinals and priests were intermingled with those who were in the monarchy and assigned by those people. And so when the people of France would look at the church, they were also seeing the monarchy. And when they overthrew the abuse of the monarchy, they overthrew the abuse of the church. Uh, early in the, the revolution in Paris in 1792, three bishops and 200 priests were killed in one day. Throughout the whole revolution, between 2,000 and 4,000 priests lost their lives. And if you want to read some horrific stories, just Google drowning of the priests. It's horrific. All church property was turned over to the state and then the church became subservient to the state of France. The French state controlled the church. Subsequent laws have further restricted how and what the church can do so that the state is a major player and factor in people's lives. The state is the authority to whom all French people answer. We had a separation of church and state. The French had a separation of state and church. They reversed the words because they didn't want the church interfering in state affairs. One day, 
I, along with some other pastors, were invited to the governor's house. She was running for re-election, and uh, you know, all politicians, they'll go to get votes wherever they can, and so she thought, well, let's bring in these Protestant pastors. So she invited us in and served us coffee and tea and some of that red drink that France is famous for. We sat, talked, and visited, and she talked about all the good things that she's done for the region that we lived in and how important it will be for her to continue on in what she's doing. And she said, she made a mistake, and she said, you know, when my grandmother moved here, she was a school teacher, and she taught in the school out in this little village, and her goal, she told us, was that my grandmother would change the public school to the most important school in the village because it was a Catholic school and a public school. The Catholic school had 70 to 80 students in the school. The public school had five. And her goal was to change that around. And over her period of time being school teacher, the Catholic school ended up having five students and the public school had the majority of students where they taught Republican values, French values, and got rid of anything that was religious. That's the wrong thing to say to a bunch of pastors, you know? <laughs> but that gives you an idea of, of, of why France has gone from this country that was at one time considered religious and Catholic to a country that has no religious value anymore. Uh, with Jake... We read the following verses, and I'll read them to you again. This is, these are great verses, friends. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jake preached a great message last week, didn't he? And he hit some of these things really well, and we appreciate that. Um, there are some words in here that are really interesting. They worshipped him, but some doubted. Remember, these are the disciples that have been with Jesus for three years. Watching Jesus do all of the things that he's done, listening to Jesus teach what he taught, watching Jesus get crucified, seeing him buried, and experiencing him after his resurrection. But some doubted. That's kind of a normal thing. There are people who come to Christ, who know Christ, who walk with Christ, but at points in their lives, doubt arrives. That doesn't mean that they've lost their salvation or their relationship with God. It's just a part of our growing in our faith, where we place our confidence in Christ. And quite frankly, how many times have we doubted? It's interesting to know also as we look at these verses that Jesus told us, to do something. And this is our mission. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. That's what Jesus has told us to do. He's not asking us, would you please go? Go and do these things. 
That's the part that Jesus tells us to do. That's the content in the middle of these verses. But there's, there are bookends to the content of what Jesus tells us to do. And the bookends of these verses are what enable and encourage us, all of us, to take all of Jesus to all the world. The first bookend, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus said, I have all authority. The disciples watched Jesus for three years. They lived with him. They watched him minister in the authority of God through the Holy Spirit. He made wine from water. He, claimed, he calmed the winds and the storm. He gave sight to the blind, legs to the crippled, healing to the sick, life to the dead. He brought freedom to those who were enslaved by demons, fed thousands, walked on water, and, and the disciples said, What kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Because he walked in the authority of God filled with the Holy Spirit. That same Holy Spirit that he gives to us. The authority of God in our lives. Yet they didn't see Jesus in his full authority. I'm not sure we can grasp what that means. I have been given all authority. Now, Pastor Sean preached some really good messages this last year, this last summer out of Genesis, talking about the authority of God to do what God has done, to bring our world into being, to existence, and our lives. That's the authority of God. I don't know if we could handle the full authority of God, knowing it until we get to heaven. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says. What a great bookend to know that we are part of those who follow God, who has, given, who has all authority. Jesus has all authority over nature, illness, viruses, nations, politics, leaders, war, injustice, humanity, and evil. The authority that Jesus demonstrated while on earth, he gives to those who are his disciples, past, present, and future. It's an authority that comes from God full of compassion, love, grace, and forgiveness. The Son of God has always had complete authority. Don't confuse someone who has complete authority with someone who's an authoritarian. An authoritarian is tyrannical, dictatorial, imposing their will with no concern for others without love or compassion. A person with authority has all the power to do that they please, but takes into consideration the free choice and well-being of those around them. An authoritarian is despised. An authority figure is highly respected and admired. The implication of this is that we're, we're to go in Christ's authority, speaking with his authority, teaching with his authority, baptizing with his authority, going to people with compassion and love, offering them grace and forgiveness. We cannot fail in this mission because we carry our king's credentials. It's in his authority that we proclaim Jesus and his saving work to the world today. All you have to do is look at what God has done and its testimony. There's a sec second book into this. He says, I am with you always. 
and to the end of the age. I am with you always, not will be future, not was past, but is. I am with you always. Like the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night with the children of Israel when they left Egypt, like the angel in the fiery furnace and Daniel's three young friends, Jesus is with us. We may not see him, we may not feel him, we may not touch him, and we may not smell him, but he is present with us like he said he would be. We were at a conference with, with our church, some of our church leaders and other church leaders around France, and uh, we had this guy come in, and he was talking about the, the fullness of the Spirit of God in our lives and some of the things that can inhibit the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. And he was talking about the fact that some of us, church leaders walking with Christ, doing what we're supposed to be doing, will oftentimes have these little imps that sit on our shoulders and inhibit the full power of God in our lives. Demonic presence, not that the person has a demon, demon in them, but that they're there just kind of, you know, whispering away. And he said, this, the guy who was speaking, he said, we're going to take a time and we're going to pray. Just, just, just a minute. And I want you to ask God, if you feel that there is some kind of an evil presence sometimes around you, ask God to free you. Turn this over to God. Let's let it go. And then he prayed. And then he said, during this time of prayer, did any of you feel as though the, there was a liberation, a freedom that was given to you? One of the elders of my church stood up, and I looked at him, I said, something has happened to him. Because there was this fresh glow, this fresh something about him. He didn't smell like Jesus. He couldn't touch Jesus. Didn't taste Jesus. But Jesus was there. And he said, when you prayed, God did something and I know it. Well, we all knew it because we could see it. And that's what we're talking about with this presence of Jesus being in our lives. Continual, the continual presence of Christ. Look at the people in the Bible who knew the reality of the presence of Christ. Moses, or the reality of, of Christ, God being with them. Moses went before the mightiest Pharaoh. David before Goliath. Daniel before the kings of Babylon. Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. Stephen speaking before the supreme religious courts of his day. And the word of God says about Stephen, as he was dying, Full of the Holy Spirit. Oh, don't we wish that would be us when we're dying. Full of the Holy Spirit. He looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. My friends, that's what it looks like to live the two bookends of Matthew 28. Living and walking in the authority giving, given to Jesus and always and to always walk and live in the knowledge of the continual presence of Jesus. It's been mentioned that Carol and I are moving into a, a different stage of life. Uh, some people call it retirement, you know, fishing and golfing and whatever else. 
Uh, we want to call it our encore because we're looking to see what God wants us to do next. But we don't know what that is. Uh, a lot of people, when they head into retirement, you know, they've, they've got their nice, fancy car, and they've got their house, and they've got just everything they need for retirement. Well, we've been in Africa, and we've been in France, and we haven't stocked that all up. And we don't know what our next step is going to be like. It's like, you know, I'm going to put my foot out here, and I'll find out where I'm going to go. But we're not worried about it. We're not worried about it, are we? <laughs> Why? Because we're walking in the full authority of Jesus. And we have his continual presence with us where we go. Do you? You don't need to answer that. But let me bring us back to France. There's been a lot of violence, religious violence in France over the past seven years. Gunman went into a, a magazine publisher and shot and killed 12 people. In November of 2015, 137 people were killed in six different places in the city of Paris. 86 people were killed in the city of Nice by a truck that plowed down a pedestrian street. A priest standing in his church, 86 years old, was stabbed and killed. Three other people praying in a different church were stabbed and killed. Police officers working in their police stations have died because people come in and just kill them. A teacher was decapitated because he dared talk about Muhammad in a derogatory manner. A lot of violence hits France that we're not aware of. And that violence has brought a lot of fear to the French people because they don't know where to turn or what to do. To curb this violence, France has passed a new set of laws to control the radical elements of religion. By the way, we're part of the radical element of, of religion. Jesus is the only way, right? That's pretty radical, friends. These laws include controlling the amount of money that can come into France from outside sources, uh, to fund religious organizations, to controlling the teaching and the discourses of, of people. Uh, the French people, the French government wants to instill French Republican values in all of French people. These new laws are aimed at employing tighter oversight measures against the radical element of Islam in churches like the one we're in today. Con to control the extremists, the following laws have now been instituted. Stringent new rules against related to finance, including tracking and limiting funding from outside of France. Did you know that you have helped build numerous churches in France, alliance churches? Did you know that? Did you know that you have helped translate various books into French to help French leaders grow in their faith? Because you give to the Great Commission Fund. Because you give to Alliance Missions. You're helping French people, not just not French people alone, but I like to be a little egoist, as the French would say. But 
because of a certain religion getting all of their funding from outside of France, and it goes to build mosques, and it goes to support the imams in their teaching, the government has decided they need to clamp down on the kind of money, the amount of money that comes in from those countries and control who it comes from and who it's going to and what it's for. But because we're a country of liberty and equality and brotherhood, we can't just target one group, so we have to target everybody. And in reality, the targeting of everybody means that they're targeting the church, just like this church. So any money that goes to France from now on uh, is going to be controlled. Carol and I have been raising funds for a, a project that we call the Porcelain Project. It's to help build a worship center, a ministry center for the church in Limoges. Uh, we're in the process of, of raising a large sum of money for that, for that building. Starting now, any amount of money over $10,000 or $12,000 that goes to France, the government's going to say, oh, where did that come from? Oh, that came from Trinity Alliance Church in Reading. What's their pastor like? Hmm. What are their elders like? What do they teach? What do they believe? What do they say about abortion? What do they say about transsexuals? What do they say about homosexuality? Are they in agreement with what we teach in France? And once you get beyond that $12,000, then they can start to tax the amount of money that comes in because they need to control what's going on. Buildings, ministry, scholarship, translation, and printing. All of the funds that we send overseas will now be going through a greater scrutiny than it has in the past. There's an increase in government surveillance of pastors and their teaching that might be contrary to French Republican values and incite the audience to react in an extreme manner against those values and legal liability, imposing steep sanctions for speech deemed to encourage disrespect of laws and cause discrimination, hatred, or violence against the person groups because of their race, ethnic group, religious beliefs, sexual orientation, or gender. Friends, we preach the Bible. And I appreciate that this church preaches the Bible. We don't skip verses 6 through 10 because they're too difficult. We hit them head on. And when it goes against society and culture, we're not afraid to say what the Scripture says because God has said it to us. This same Bible, this same book, this same teaching is taught in France in Alliance churches. And we preach, we preach the Word of God. But imagine now that you're not the pastor, but you're an elder, and you have a family, and you have to support your family, and you come to, to Scripture passages that are difficult that might be uh, in opposition to French values in society. Are you going to preach them, or are you going to skip over them? If you preach them, somebody could be listening, and that somebody could say, you're preaching hate speech. Major fines jail time. Are you, are you ready for that? Yeah. Pump the fist. That's right. I just read a, a, a little blurb in Christianity Today that comes out of Finland where a bishop has been face, who faces uh, hate speech charges because she produced a booklet entitled 
as man and woman, he created them. And then another pastor who, po who tweeted and quoted Romans 1, 24 to 27. And because they put those out, they're going before the judges to find out whether they spend time in jail or get fined. And that's the road that France is going down. The other, another thing that we have to do is that we have to register our church every five years and an inspection of the bylaws, the accounts, and the teachings uh, to the scrutiny of the, of the authorities. This also includes the signing of a document that assure, assures that we're holding up state values. Putting more and more of a crimp on who we are and what we do. And finally, there's the development of an undercover group of police called the Religious Police. This morning, uh, a lady and her children walked into church. And there were some of us in the back, and, and we'd never seen her before. So we all greeted her and, and thanked her for coming to church and, and met her children. There might be other visitors here. I hope you got greeted. If not, come and see me and I'll talk to the pastor. <laughs> but in our church in France, one of the things that we do is that when we see somebody who's new to church, we greet them. We make them feel welcome. And we give them a Bible, not when they're leaving, but when they're coming in. We have, we used before COVID, we used to have coffee time after church with cookies and, and whatnot, just to sit and visit and talk. And people would make sure that the visitors got back there to get their coffee or tea, to be a part of who we are and what we're about. Uh, in late April of this year, of last year, we had started our church service. Church was full like it is today, except full for us is about 40 people. And this guy walks in, and I'm sitting at the back greeting people, and I'd never seen him before, and so I, I greeted him, and, and I said, my name is, is Raymond. What's your name? And he said, Etienne. I said, well, welcome, Etienne. And I said, there's a place to sit right over there. Etienne went over and sat down, and, and as far as I could tell, he participated mostly in the singing of the songs and the listening to the sermon and what was going on. And then as we were singing the closing song, before the benediction, Etienne got up and walked out. And as he walked out, he said, it's been good. Maybe I'll see you another time. And he left. After the service, one of the ladies came up to me. And she said, did you see that guy who came to church today? Who was he? I said, I don't know. His name is Etienne. And he said, maybe he'll come back someday. And she said, do you think he was part of the police that are, are looking after churches now? All of a sudden, we as Christians have become suspicious of who the visitors are that come to church, which goes against everything that we are. Because we're there to, to welcome people who don't know Jesus, to present the gospel, to, to introduce to them something that they could get nowhere else. But now we're suspicious. The church must lean on the authority that Jesus has and lean into his continual presence day after day.
people like Daniel in the Old Testament, the early church, Stephen, Peter, and Paul, they all lived in that world, the world that is hostile to Jesus and Christianity. We've been blessed to live in a world that's very different than that up until now. Many of our Alliance family around the globe live in a very different kind of world. Jake last week talked to us about the different kind of world where they've had to leave. What do we do with this? The leader of the French Evangelical said, pray for us that we will be courageous in advancing the gospel. That's what we're all about. That's what we're all about. And we need to live in that continual authority of Jesus, knowing his continual presence with us every day. As we come to the realization of loss and control of religious freedoms in France and throughout the world, where most of our RW's ministry, we need once again to be a church that not only supports missions, but also makes it a matter of prayer. If you haven't gotten one of these, get one of these. All of Jesus for all the world. It'll help walk you through the steps for supporting Alliance missions. But my, oh my, I wish we had one of these that said all of Jesus for all the world. And you sign up inside for the number of days that you're going to pray for Christians around the world. Not give money, but pray. Because that's what's going to sustain Christians everywhere around the world. This morning I got a picture of our church in France. Uh, People singing and worshiping. Uh, loving being in the presence of God. I looked at, at uh, Facebook, oops, before church, and one of my friends who was a missionary to Russia and then transferred to Ukraine, oh, imagine how his heart is torn, sent a picture of the pastor of, I'll call it CAC. Kiev Alliance Church preaching this morning to the Christians in his community in the midst of war in the midst of death in the midst of destruction coming to Jesus because they know that Jesus has all authority and live in his continued presence I'm going to ask you to pray to become people of prayer. Oh, Jake said it so well last week. You can tell that you're an Alliance Church that likes missions. You do. I'm going to ask you to renew your call to prayer for Alliance missions, Alliance missionaries, and Alliance churches around the world. Jake showed us this map. Remember that map he showed? That with the box and there were some red countries and some yellow countries. France is in the yellow country or in the yellow group. Most of us work in the yellow and the red, and it's not easy. I ask you to become people who pray for Alliance missions. Will you become people who pray for believers in other lands and for missions? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the work that you do in people's lives around the world. We thank you for your transforming power in the lives of people like Nikki and many, many, many others. We thank you that you have all authority over everything that exists and happens in this world. 
We thank you for your continual presence with us wherever we go and in whatever we do. We pray for our brothers and sisters and our friends uh, around the world, whether they, they be Alliance or some other church organization. We commit them to you and ask you to keep your protective hand upon them, help them to know your presence in the same way that the three friends of Daniel knew your presence in the fiery furnace. Thank you, God, for your love for us, for your compassion for us, for the grace that you've given to us, and the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. Glory be to you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing goodness and love for us. Lord, we thank you that uh, you have uh, wooed us <laughs> into your kingdom by your love and how the things that you've done for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But Lord, uh, the, the other beautiful piece of this is that uh, as we respond to your love with love, that uh, we then get to take what we've experienced from you and we get to share that with others. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to be praying for those who go to different cultures and to share the love of Jesus, uh, certainly in these, more, uh, in these cultures that are becoming more and more difficult to do so, and even in our own culture, as it becomes more and more uh, hard to share the love of Jesus because it's not uh, as received as well. So Lord, help us to do that. Help us to continue to pray and to, and to give financially to support missions, but also, Lord, that we would continue to be uh, missionaries in our own world, in our own sphere of influence, in our own neighborhoods and workplaces and families for your glory. Genesis, uh, excuse me, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and following. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfect in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And when we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And God bless. Buy a burrito. They're going to be great. And we'll see you next week. God bless you. Guys.